You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. When I was at the Bible College of Victoria, so that was my first taste of tertiary study. I, and you might not have thought this of me. You might have kind of, kind of thought that I was a poor student, but I could think of nothing better than to delve into the depths of the library and find a, a really, really good book, a solid book, a big book, usually a heavy book, pages and pages and pages, impossible to read. Never being satisfied with just one. If I could find two good books, three good books, four good books, ah, it was a great day. I would go to parts of the library where no other person went, kind of my Star Trek mission. I would find books that nobody else had ever signed out. I would find journal articles that would be impossible to ever put them back on the shelf because they were so little used. I'd find the most obscure books possible and I would, I would load them up. I would, I would have piles of them until all of a sudden there was no more room on the desk. Not my desk, on Barry Ward's desk. That's where I'd put them all. So that when Barry came in, you know, he would all of a sudden say, oh no, who has done this? There would just be books everywhere. It would take him literally hours to, to put them back in the right place lest the librarian has his, has his head. Um, Every now and again, Barry would do the same for me, just by the way, just if you think, oh, bad Stuart, you've got a bad pastor. No, 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 compared to Barry, you've got a good pastor. Barry would do the same thing to me, and every now and again, through, through that and paper toss and all sorts of other things, somebody a lot more serious would say to us, guys, shh, you're in a library, behave. And in that moment, I guess we would remember how just caught up we were in having fun while studying. And we would remember that we'd lost sight of the context. And all of a sudden, we were feeling very, very penitent. We would say, sorry, apologize. And, and I must confess, in my latter years, in my third year, I think I was one of the ones saying, shh, come on, you're in a library. Pull yourself together. I, uh, my behavior's changed a little bit as the study's got a bit more serious. But sometimes, you can forget where you are. Sometimes you can, you can forget what your context is. And as Christians, I, I wonder whether that might be the case. It's okay as Christians to have those mountaintop experiences, but, but it's helpful sometimes to understand that the bulk of the Christian life is actually lived in the valley. Now, I know that's not what we all want to hear, is it? But that's kind of true. That's kind of true. The Christian life is an invitation to, to walk through the valley, but not to do it alone. Um, we live in foreign territory. We're aliens. We're strangers. We're not citizens of this world. We, we're not home yet. The kingdom of God is, is penetrating this world, but this is not the kingdom of God. This is not heaven. We're not home. That comes a little bit later. I guess perhaps uh, as the plebiscite was was being voted upon, I had two thoughts. It could, be, it could be a no vote, but we'd have to remember that we're still on a mission. It could be a yes vote, but we'd have to remember we're still on a mission. Australia is a mission field, however you look at it. And we are on a mission. Uh, I, I was thinking about some different friends that I've got, and many of these names you know because they've preached at Eltham Baptist Church from time to time. Do you remember Chip Kirk, who has had been with us with a, a couple of virtual camps and is, is a ventriloquist, you might remember, remember Chip. He had a saying, and that is, when we remember that the Christian life is a battlefield, not a playground, life makes so much more sense. 
that's what the chip's saying. I was um, Alan Demond, who was with us last week. I was driving him, uh, driving him for lunch, and uh, we were going going out, and we were just talking about the service and so forth. And 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 he he just had this saying. He said, "Yeah, you know, it really helps if we as Christians remember we're living in Babylon, not Jerusalem." Um, Graham Can, who's been sharing with us at four twelve, he put it this way. He's preaching on Ephesians 3 at the moment, and he was saying, you look at Ephesians 3, and there's this pattern. The church is in the midst of persecution, and Paul himself is persecuted. There's a call to prayer. God intervenes, and then there's this declaration of praise that goes into the heavenlies. Persecution, prayer, God answers, and there's praise goes up. And he, he actually said that's the context, of course, of the early church. In Western society, we often forget that. We forget that we live in the valley. We, for, we forget that there should be, to some extent, a, an expectation of persecution. But not to, not to be alarmed by that, because persecution will result in prayer, which will ultimately result in praise to God. He said the problem in the West is we're so... We're so at peace that there's not enough declaration going up into the heavenlies. Jonathan McCreese, one more. Jonathan McCreese, after a, a week of prayer here at EBC on one occasion, I said to him, yeah, Jonathan, we just had a week of prayer. And he said, that's fantastic. And I said, yeah, we're praying for revival. And he said, huh, I hear that a lot in the West. You're praying for revival. We're praying for persecution. Now, here is a guy who understands persecution. Jonathan, you know, growing up in his, in his teenage years, had been spat upon until saliva was dripping down his face for the sake of the gospel. He'd been beaten up and he's been arrested more times than he can count. Things have changed a little bit, but his biggest concern is that as the persecution eases there in Greece, will there be less praise and declaration? Ours is a call to, to valley living. And we can very, very easily forget our context at, at times. We've been looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Of course, this is the story we sometimes think of David and Goliath. And, and yes, it is that, although it's much more than that, really. It's a spiritual battle. The Israelites and the Philistines meet in the valley of Elah. And, and there in the valley, an amazing battle takes place. And I asked a couple of weeks ago, thinking about this, often in the valley we meet giants. We all have them in our lives. Those giants can be, they can be many things. Those, those giants can be, they can be health issues. And, and as I said, we wanted to pray specifically for health issues, for, for healing and so forth. God would, God would touch us, whether it be body, mind, soul, whatever it might be. They can be health issues. They can be relationship issues. They can be trials. They can be tribulations or temptations even. They can be all manner of different things. They can be theological difficulties and questions we have for God. Disappointment, battles with cynicism and all sorts of things. But we all face giants. We all meet giants in the valley. It's a part of the Christian life. We encounter these giants. But what do you see? Because if your picture of the giant or the problem is bigger than your picture of God, you will never be free. It's just the way it is. 
your picture of God has to become bigger than the picture you have of your besetting problem, whatever that might be, or your giant. That, that's the realm of freedom. And that's the invitation to, to us tonight. When we're in the valley, when we see the giants, what do we see? Do we see your enemy or do you see God's enemy? Do you see your very worst fear or do you see a defeated foe? My prayer tonight is that, that you will recognize, that you will even be able to name that giant for you, whatever that is. You'll recognize that giant, you can name that giant, and we will see some giants fall tonight. That's my prayer. The lessons from David is as he goes to fight this giant Goliath. Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's just read verses 38 to 45 to start with. But basically, David has come to Saul's attention. He's invited to Saul's tent, and, and this is what takes place in verse 38. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to these things. And he says, I cannot go in these. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, but he despised him nonetheless. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? That's because he had the shepherd's staff in his hand. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, he countered, he said, Will you come against me with your sword and spear and javelin? But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So the picture here is David tries on Saul's armor. He, he, he tries to walk around in it. It was probably heavy, like chain armor, sword, and all of those sorts of things. At the end of the day, he says, it's no good. This is not going to work. I'm not used to this stuff. What was he used to? Well, he was used to, he was used to a sling and, and what a stone could do, but his confidence wasn't in that. Ultimately, his confidence was in this, in verse 45. I come against you in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord was, was David's armor. God himself will be your armor. When you face your giants, when you choose to say, okay, here's the giant in my life, and this needs to be dealt with, you can take courage in the fact that you are well armored and your armor, your protection, your shield, what will cover you in that moment is the name of the Lord. That will be your armor. We all have giants. Pastors have giants. Bron and I have faced one for, for several years now. Now, I want to go into detail. I don't want to talk about the nature of the giant because I don't want to give glory to the giant. But I'll tell you, there have been times of great testing, very, very difficult times. One occasion, I remember, we went to this meeting, which was, I don't know, I guess something that we just felt we should, we should do. But we suspected that on this particular meeting with an older couple, we suspected that there was a little bit of an agenda to try and get us to shift our view on something, which was, which was to us very, very important. 
And as we sat down with this couple over the table, the, the conversation naturally divided, and I was, I was chatting with the other guy about rather benign stuff. And, um, but I was attuned to a growing intensity as Ron was talking to this other lady. And, and I started to tune out, sensing that, that, that we had been sort of peeled off from one another. And I started listening in to this other side of the conversation. I heard some pretty wacky things, to be quite honest. And then in a moment, I heard Bron say something remarkable. Tears streaming down her face. She simply said to this other lady, we was speaking of somebody else, but she said, oh, I love him. But I quite simply love my Lord more. And in that moment, she shone. I could not have had more respect or higher regard for my darling wife. We walked home after that meeting and as you often do, you rehearse these things and go over them and you revisit the conversation and particularly this one because that, that whole evening was kind of intense. But as we walked away, you know, a funny thought, inescapable thought was this. I said, honey... In that moment, you were amazing. I, I couldn't believe what I just saw and heard. And she said, it wasn't hard. I just felt protected. Incredible and unquenchable joy was just filling me. I just felt guarded, like our hearts were guarded. And I reflected the same thing, although I don't think I was quite in, in the midst of the battle as much as my wife was. But, but nonetheless, that whole night, the best way to describe it was we just felt guarded protected and when you face your giants you can be sure of this God will give you an armor his name the Lord's name is that armor the name of the Lord he will he will guard your hearts he will protect you he will watch over you you have nothing to fear you may say you know what I've, I've, I've tried this and I've tried that and to be quite honest, nothing seems to work. And I don't know if I'm up for this. It's okay. You don't need to. God himself will be your armor. And you have the Lord's name to call upon. And it's all you need. Going on a little bit, we left in verse 45. So David says, I come against, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And I guess the... Parenthesis should be, and you better be scared, buddy. Um, that's kind of how it reads. And then vo verse 46, just to give teeth to that, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down. I'll cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals to the whole. Sorry, to the, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. Remember, he had five smooth stones in that bag. He slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. 
David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. So David is victorious. All he had, all he had was five smooth stones carefully chosen from the stream. Was he co- his confidence in those? Not at all. That was all he had. He, he, that's, that's what he was used to. He wasn't used to the heavy chain armor and the sword and the shields and all of those sorts of things. He wasn't used to that. His confidence wasn't in that. But I dare say that his confidence wasn't really in these stones either. He knew he was pretty good with a sling and he, and he knew he, what to do with that stone, but he couldn't guarantee. He couldn't guarantee it was going to hit the mark. That was for God. He would take the little that he had. He would take that stone. He'd put it in the sling. He would do what he could. But it was up to God to make it hit the mark. It was up to God to guide that stone and to give him victory. And, and if there's any doubt in our minds whatsoever, there shouldn't be because he, he says it here. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. We can often, we can often approach these things thinking, well, we're well protected, but still what hope do I have against this giant? You see, we can so often see the giant instead of seeing God. We need to remember that this is not our battle. This is the Lord's battle. And when our perspective like that has changed, we have, we have a wonderful confidence. We just take the little that we've had and, and God makes much of our little. You might just have a, a little prayer to offer up against your giant. A little bit of faith. Just a little bit of a willing heart. Just a little bit of desire to see things just a little bit different in your life. You've only got a little bit of whatever it might be. But God will take you little and he will make it much. This is not your battle. It's his battle. But he loves to use the little that you have. What have you got tonight to face your giants? A little prayer, a little faith, a little bit of willingness, a little bit of desire to see change in your life, a a little bit of hope maybe. That's all you need. It's not your battle. You don't have to muster up some amazing army, some, some incredible resources. You know, have you seen my mate George? You know, you don't need mates. You've got God. Not your battle, God's battle. He will take you little and he will make it much. That's how he defeats the giants. Uh, I've shared this story before. I'll just share it briefly again. There's just one point I'd like to make. Um, Many years ago, working with Victoria Police, we went to the thing called Bouvery Street Drags. I think I've told, that, told this story before you, cars spinning out and so forth. We pulled a car over. It was just myself, the driver, and my sergeant initially when we pulled the car over. But very soon, a crowd that some people estimated was around 4,000 people suddenly surrounded us. And it was like this mob mentality. It wasn't pretty, and there was nothing, no tool or weapon that I had that could deal with 4,000 people. The only thing I had in that moment was training. And my training just told me, hold your ground, hold your ground. So as I stood and I was writing out the ticket for this guy, and, uh, and, and I still remember, you know, he was just shaking at the knees, this poor guy, because not only was he getting a ticket for, for spinning out in the intersection, but um, being a hoon, not only was he getting his hit, this ticket, but there were 4,000 people watching. 
And whilst he might have thought that this could go his way, he didn't for some reason. And as I'm writing out his, his ticket, this, this meat pie just comes out of the crowd and, and lands right, right near me. And I, I, I kind of thought, oh, no, dry cleaning bill. You know, that's just not going to be pretty. But fortunately, it misses me, goes splat. And, and the worst thing that happened that night is somebody was going hungry because they just threw their pie. don't know what they're thinking. But the next thing to come my way was a bottle. And I remember it breaking it at my feet. And in that moment, okay, bottles were more serious because if now everybody starts throwing bottles, this might not go so well. And I remember the bottle was a little bit more serious. That just upped it a bit. And I thought, what I do next is very important. And the only thing I had was my training that just said, stand firm. So I couldn't see anything. I was pretty much blinded by the lights on the car, which in those days were, were, um, weren't the red and the blue. The, the whole Christmas thing, that came later. It was just blue and blue, and they used to dance across the car. It was actually pretty to watch. But anyway, I was focused on the crowd. I couldn't quite see in the crowd, but, uh, but I remember just staring where I thought the bottle came from, and it just, you know, as if, I see you, buddy. I can see anything. But I remember just stand your ground and, and, and just hold on, stand firm. That's all I had. And sometimes I forget to tell the end of this story, which was, I lived. I did. Um, shortly after that, we'd, we'd put in a call for assistance, and, and other police arrived, and, and this crowd just parted. Would have made Moses at the Red Sea proud. You know, it just parted. Everyone just, you know, kind of cleared out the way, and, and it all ended very peaceably. Uh, it, was a, it was a good result. But the only thing that I had, at the, I remember how uh, weak I felt at that time, because all I had was my training, just stand firm, that's it, that's all there is. And sometimes that's all you've got. Sometimes when you face your giants, you don't have much at all. You can't take them on, you don't, you don't have a whole lot of weaponry at your disposal. You don't have much except stand firm, just stand firm, hold on here. God will come through. That's all you need, that's all you need. It's amazing how God can, can take a, a small, smooth stone and he can use it for his purposes. It's his battle, not yours. You just have a little faith. You, you have a little prayer. You're just taking a small stand on this, this one issue because, because on this conviction, I can't move. They're only little things, but God can use those little things to take out the giants. He really can. He loves to do that. He'll be your armor and he'll make much of your little. God himself, the Lord's name, will be your armor. And he loves to take your little and make much of it. Because this is not your battle. This is the Lord's battle. It's the Lord's battle. And for those of us who understand these things, God is our armor. And he loves to, he loves to make much of our little. For those of us who understand these things and watch God at work and see him overcome, there is a sweet taste in victory. David actually experiences that. He takes a couple of trophies. Um, he, he takes the, the head of Goliath, and, and I know it kind of feels a bit gory, doesn't it? But there is, there is something going on there. Because obviously um, when the head is gone, the authority is gone, the power is gone, isn't it? And that... That symbolized a lot to the Philistine army. But there was something else going on here too. He, he takes the sword and later on in the life of David, that sword, that trophy will become very, very important. He will actually use that sword on another occasion. And God loves to do that, it seems. You might wonder, 
why is it that this loving, merciful, sovereign God <laughs> leads us into the valley and then allows us to be confronted by these giants? What's going on there? Why would he do that? Well, it's because he knows this. This is not your battle. This is my battle. And once you are victorious, you are going to receive a trophy from this that you'll be able to use again and again and again throughout your life. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to build your faith. It's going to make you one of my mighty warriors. That's what God's doing. These things out of this battle will come some sort of a trophy that you will be able to use later on in life for God's glory. There's a sweet taste to victory. Going back to the giant that Bron and I have been facing over the last number of years, we went to another meeting on an occasion. Again, somebody had urged us to, somebody we loved very much, and we really did it for them, had urged us to come and, come and speak to this person who would apparently give us wise counsel and so forth and sort us out a little. And so we went, we had a few people pray for us. We sort of suspected again that there was a bit of an agenda here. And, and yet we, the person who had invited us to this, we loved them too much to disappoint them. And so we prepared, we went, went to this meeting. For two hours, this, this person, I, I guess they meant well, took various passages from the Bible, twisted them like a pretzel and served them up and... I spent my time sort of ironing them out again and serving back something which looked a little bit more like the Word of God. And so that went on for about two hours of, of yeah, I don't quite see it that way. Let's just kind of <laughs> keep the Word of God as the Word of God, shall we? And that went on for about two hours. And then the thing that was kind of really bothering me in the back of my mind was the possibility of a parking ticket because I was in a two-hour zone. So I, I left and I, and, I, and I went to pay the parking ticket. And I do remember this as I went to pay. I hope Bronnie's okay by herself there. And I thought, actually, come to think of it, I hope they're okay with Brom. Because I came back from the parking ticket, and as I came back into the room, sure enough, that little nudge that I had that, that once divided, there'd be an attempt to conquer, and they might have thought that Bron was the soft touch in this relationship. And uh, I came, came in to see her, <laughs> not only holding her own, but a little bit of a tiger in there, kind of um, doing, doing very, very well. At, at combating what was essentially false doctrine. And we sat down and we probably then went through another two hours of just listening and, and answering and just standing firm, holding, holding our ground. And after that time, there was a little bit of an impasse and I suggested that after four hours, is it possible that it's maybe time for us to agree to disagree, because I, I don't think we're shifting on, on anything or we've heard anything new that would cause us to, to take a different stand to what we're taking. And I think we all agreed there, and, and we left a rather awkward room and a, a rather awkward meeting, and we went outside, and, and here's the thing. I believe that we had honoured our God and stood firm. We felt something that, in that moment, that we'd never really felt like that before, at least not with that intensity, and we didn't have words for it. It was, it was a euphoric feeling. It really was. 
we just walked out of that building and it was like we were walking on air. If, if I said we were feeling joy, that doesn't do it. If I said we were feeling peace, that doesn't do it either. I have never felt, at least not with this intensity, the feeling that we felt in that moment right then. In fact, we were so caught up in that. We were sort of, do you, do you just feel light? Do you just feel loved? Do you just feel, I don't know, like the, just the joy of the Lord, the gladness of God is upon us or something? We just didn't have words. We were chatting about it so much so that we almost walked into the path of an oncoming car. A friend that we, that we just happened to see out of the corner of our eye alerted us to it and, and, and the car just pulled up in time. It almost felt like if, if, if the enemy can't take us out one way, he'll take us out another. For days, we couldn't, we couldn't articulate. We had no language, no words for that feeling. And it lasted, not just for that hour. It lasted for a few days. It's so hard to describe, but, but on about day three, I was just thinking about it more. I was just thinking about our stand. I was thinking about... I was thinking about what God had, had done in us. And suddenly my mind went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and I, was, I was thinking about that time in the fire where they came out of that experience, that fiery experience, that time of testing. They came out and they didn't even smell of smoke. You know that one? And I was thinking about that. What happens in fire? Things get purified, don't they? And then I had my word. And I said to Brun, I think I've got a word for what we've been feeling these last few days. I think I've got a word for, for just being victorious, for standing firm when we were supposed to stand firm. I think I've got a word for it. Purity. And then I, I had this thought. Could that be, here in, in my earthly experience, could in that moment, could that be just a little bit of a taste of what we might experience for eternity. Having come through the valley, come through this life, joined our master in heaven and heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. In that moment, is, is, did we just get a taste of what might be actually our eternal experience, having been purified in the fire, having been found faithful, that would be our experience. That's what it feels like to be at one with God. I wonder. Suffice to say, when you overcome your giants, victory has a, a sweet taste. It's a beautiful thing. So we're going to pray in a moment, and I wonder if you would like prayer for your giant, and I wonder what your giant might be. Suggested a number of things. It could be a health issue. It could be a trial you're going through or a temptation you face. It could be so many different things. I wonder what your giant is. And let me say this. You'll know it because giants always overshadow your joy. And let me suggest as your pastor tonight that it's, that it's time to face it. It's time to no longer let that giant overshadow a joyous experience 
of walking with Jesus through the valley. Knowing that he is your armor, he'll make much of your little and he will give you the victory because the battle belongs to him, not to you. In closing, let me talk a little bit about an expectant heart. Many, many years ago, we lived in Brisbane, ministered up there in a church, and some friends invited us on one occasion to, to come to this big, big healing meeting. It was a famous speaker, and he had a reputation of being used by God for, for healings. It was a massive church. We'd never been to one before. And, and um, it was really unlike us, but we're running a little bit late. We, we actually had to park blocks away from the church. So we're sort of walking about four blocks to get to church. And, and um, as we're walking along we saw something we'd never ever seen in our lives people were running past us to church never in my Baptist experience have I seen that people were running to church they had such an anticipation for God such an expectation that God was going to going to, to hear their need and, and, and heal, heal them touch them in whatever, whatever way that he saw fit expectation that God would meet them in their moment of need. They were running to church. It was incredible. And I wonder if we could do with just a little bit of a, a lift in our faith, I wonder if we could do with just a little bit of that. Just a sense in which, I know my God. I know him as my father and I know that he gives good gifts to his children. I know that he hears me and I know that whatever his, whatever his answer might be tonight, nonetheless it will be good because he's a good, good father and he, he just doesn't do dastardly deeds. I know he'll have something for me so with an expectant heart, yes, I want to run to him. Let's pray. I invite the band to, to come up as I do so. Heavenly Father, I... I thank you for your word tonight and I thank you that, that we are encouraged to face our giants. This is, this is not uncommon in the, in the Christian life. We all experience giants because we're, we're all walking through this valley together. Oh yes, there are a mountaintop experiences. There are those moments where we, we can encounter just a little bit of that euphoric feeling that, that just might be ours in heaven. But Lord, as we admit tonight the reality of these giants, we do so believing that you are bigger than they are. Our picture of you has just been enlarged by the promises in your word. Whatever it is that we are facing, you are much, much bigger than that. Oh, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you that we can call upon the Lord's name and, and you will be our armor. You will protect us. We thank you that you take our little, you turn it into much. And you will give the victory for this is your battle, not ours. We can trust you on this. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.